the scripture and get a bulldog grip on its truth? Listen on some doctrine and get bulldogmatic. Here is your host. Well, Pastor, we're going to go on and, and look at a devotion by Alistair Begg. And I, I like Alistair Begg. I like, I like his accent, right. uh, listening to him, him and Sinclair Ferguson. Yeah, yeah they both have uh, that. As well. Yeah. Uh, what a beautiful uh, now, Begg, Begg is Irish? I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, I, I'm not Ferguson sure. Ferguson is Scottish. Ferguson is Scottish, and, but I, I'm not sure yeah. if uh, Begg is Scottish yeah. or Irish, but, but they're, they're very both, similar. They both have a great accent, and they're both so deep yes. and capable of communicating uh, the gospel. Yeah, they don't. I don't think either one of them raises their voice one decibel, and they don't move around much, but you're right. just entranced by the message. Exactly. The message. The message. And his message in this devotion is an innocent man crushed by God. Oh, oh, so yeah. uh, what a what a good devotion this is. He looks at Isaiah 53.10 and says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in the land. And uh, now Pastor Alistair Begg says, Jesus, the beloved and precious to the Father, is about to be destroyed at the hands uh, of God. So as we read that verse in Isaiah, it was, it's almost as if Isaiah was there at the cross yeah. witnessing yeah. Uh, what was going on um, at, that, at that time. Do you think you think maybe he had a, a God gave him a, a, a vision, or did he just got guide his hand in in this prophetic? Oh boy, that is a that is a that is a really good question. I would I would be inclined to say that he was only uh, that he was perhaps seeing something somehow. I don't think he saw a cross, but but he he saw the suffering of this of the servant of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And, and again, you know, this is one of those, those very paradoxical statements. God loves me, but the way he expressed that love was to crush his son. Right. How do you, how do you, how do you ignore that? If you really understand it again, the, the, contemplating the cross contemplating the man hanging on the cross how do you how do you how do you not see that and of course uh, uh, and and I I don't I worry that I come across too critical of some teachers or ministries but I have to say it again there are vast sections of the Christian church that say no God doesn't do that kind of stuff God would never do that kind of stuff. well that's what the scripture says right he crushed his son, it was the Lord's will to afflict Christ on our behalf. Mm -hmm. Now think about a passage, if I don't get too far off track, over in the book of Lamentations where, where the prophet Jeremiah says, he does not afflict willingly. Meaning Christ on the cross isn't being afflicted just because God's malicious or sadistic. He's forced into this, quote-unquote. I don't like that term with respect to God. But he is forced to take this action if he's going to rescue us. Mm -hmm. 
it was the Lord's will to crush him. And then Isaiah goes on to talk about those who are redeemed through the crushing of the servant. Right. Yeah. That all of that falls into the contemplation of Christ. And what? How refreshing! Because um, I, I, this book goes is a, is a few years old, obviously, and these thoughts are a few years old. But uh, how refreshing to know that because Alistair Begg pastors outside of Cleveland, Ohio. Mm-hmm. How refreshing to know that there are pastors in the land stressing that part of the Christian gospel. Mm-hmm. And may we be faithful as his people to pray for those men Amen. in their in their voice and witness. And may God provide us with more men like that. Yes. Amen. In, Amen. In the country. Well, Pastor 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Christ was innocent. He was, uh, as Alistair Begg said, an innocent man right. was crushed by God. How is that significant and why was that necessary? Ooh. Boy, that that is so broad uh, and, and, and deep. Uh, it was necessary to for God to accomplish his redemptive plans. It was necessary. Uh so God's perfect justice demands uh, some sort of atonement for sin. Atonement for sin. You, you know, either you have to pay for the sin or Christ has to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And only Christ can pay for it. Right. Because only Christ is the innocent man. We talk about this, and I know it's difficult, but none of us are innocent. We're none of us innocent. From the word go. We are not innocent. Mm-hmm. We are, uh, we are sinners. You know, even a little baby when it's first born, it's not innocent, no. is it? No, it's not innocent. It, the most selfish thing on the planet is a newborn baby. Mm-hmm. It is only concerned with its own needs. Now, someone would say, "Yeah, well, but as the child grows up, as the child grows up, it maintains that selfishness." Mm-hmm. And if you do not teach them liberality, generosity, how many times have you heard parents say to children, now you need to share, you need to, you need to share. Why do I need to tell an innocent child, a perfect child, that they need to share? Because their tendency is not to share, right. but to just hoard it and grab it and hold on to it and fight about it. I, I think anyone who says that about children has not been around children for a very long time. Right. They're inherently selfish. And and he, so even and, and and by the way, quickly, David said, I was conceived in iniquity. He doesn't mean that the act of sex between his mother and father was bad. It means that from the very get go, I was stained and corrupted by the sin that only God can rescue me from. Now, again, I want to emphasize some people listening. I just can't buy into that. Okay. But then you can't call yourself a Christian because that's what the Bible teaches. Right. That's what the Bible says and teaches. And you therefore cannot say, well, you're going to have to stop being a Christian, in other words, Mm -hmm. instead of playing the game of being a Christian when you're denying and rejecting most of what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. 
Well, Pastor, my next question uh, or next couple questions kind of derives out of something I saw on, on social media. And you see a lot of things that are we- really weird. But I saw a post by someone who calls himself an atheist, and he meant it as a slur, but I thought about it a little bit. And then I saw a response from someone who was a Christian. So I wanted to ask you about his post uh, uh, was of someone wearing a T-shirt that says, and he meant it to sound absurd. He said, God sacrificed himself to himself to save us from himself. And I think it said, think how absurd that is on the shirt. Right. Um, Then someone posted underneath of it said that a more accurate uh, uh, description would be Jesus, God in the flesh, sanctified himself to pay the penalty we deserve for our sins, thereby saving us from ourselves. So what do you think about those two statements? Are Is either one of them accurate, or would you have a better description of what God has done for us? Okay, so I would begin by saying that the person who says that is absurd is, from a human perspective, correct. Mm-hmm. But you're blinded by sin. Right. See, this is this is the problem. It is It does look absurd to you because you're looking at it strictly from human eyes. Now, uh, so God, read read the statement of the first statement again. The first statement, God sacrificed himself to himself to save us from himself. Uh, I thought it was pretty accurate statement. It is, it is, it is accurate, which we've, we've talked about. Now, the person who responded when they said to save us from ourselves, that's true as well. We we are our worst own worst enemy because of our devotion to sin. But the problem is, this is what you get into about God saving us from his wrath. Right. We are saved from the wrath of God. This is what we mean by propitiation. Mm-hmm. There, the word expiation, God satisfied the debt of sin is true but in satisfying the debt of sin he saved us from his wrath so the person in the first person is correct they just don't understand that because they're they're blinded to their sins if i am a believer and i'm going to accept what the scripture says then we are being saved by god's work through his son, from his wrath. And this, again, we go back to Romans, that passage, it says, chapter 5, uh, God um, uh, commends his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And then, then Paul goes on to say, how much more shall we be saved from wrath right. through him? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we are being saved from the wrath of God. Again, I think this is so elementary in some level. If there's no wrath involved, then why did Christ have to suffer like that? Mm -hmm. If God's just a little put out, couldn't he have fixed it some other way? The very horror of Christ's death argues that our sin is heinous. 
and we must be rescued from the consequences of that sin because God must judge sin. Mm-hmm. And so so that that, that first person uh, and and what I what I would have to say and we don't have time to get into that, so I'll stop there. Well actually in his I was gonna say in his ignorance he posted truth in his ignorance because the preaching of the cross is as right. you alluded to in a previous, the preaching of the cross is foolishness. foolishness. The, they don't get it. No. They don't them. they don't get it at all. Cross he said Paul says in that passage the Jews see the cross as as an offense. Mm-hmm. Who would ever who would ever believe that God will save the world like this? Well you're you know, so that person trying to undermine Christians, for a Christian who really knows what they're talking about, has the validation of their faith. God told us in his word you were going to react like that. Mm-hmm. It's the same with people who think that by persecuting Christians, they dissuade Christians. A true Christian understands that God has predicted persecution. Therefore, when you persecute me, you're proving God's word is right and giving me encouragement to hold on to what I believe. And as I said before in another podcast, it never ceases to amaze me at uh, those who who say they don't believe in God, how they seem to always go out of their way to try to prove that there is no God. Exactly. That, yeah. Well, that's the same thing. It came up Sunday morning in the question about the Bible. Uh-huh. And the Bible is written by men and it's no count and there's no value, blah, blah, blah. And, but if you really believe that, why do you bother... Why do you bother trying to prove it's wrong? If it's wrong and you know it's wrong, then go away. I, there are all kinds of things that bother me, but I don't go out and make a crusade of them right. because I know, well, there's no truth in that. Leave it alone. Mm-hmm. That 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 always makes me think that in your heart of hearts, you believe it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it that uh, I think it was Mark Twain said? He said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand. Exactly. And I think that's where a lot of people are. They know it's the Bible. They know it's God's word, but they don't like what it says. And they're going to try to avoid those implications. Mm -hmm. Well, pastor, God can't die, but of course humans can die. So is that why it was necessary for uh, uh, Jesus to be born in that manger? Yeah, that's that's a fundamental part. Man sinned against God. Only man could satisfy the debt. But he had to be a perfect sinless man. Right. There is no such thing since Adam's fall. Therefore, God had to come in human flesh to conquer sin uh, and to win the victory Okay, for man. Mm-hmm. Now, Again, when people, and this is, again, a commercial, okay? This is why you need to be in a regular church that's teaching the Bible, that's right. grappling with the difficulties of Scripture. Because as I'm going in my life and I'm learning more and more of these things, it just becomes more and more clear. Yeah, this is right. Whereas I may have, and in fact, did years ago, Without giving a specific example, I would hear something and say, well, that can't be true. But now as I'm exploring the scriptures more and listening to the voices of people like those we're, we're dealing with in this book, it just becomes crystal clear. Mm-hmm. God's son came to do what no human 
no mere human could do. Mm-hmm. He had to taste death for all of his brethren, mm-hmm. and thus he has to die. And and by the way, a very important point: Christ, uh, tricky here. God the Son did not die. Jesus the man died, but God the Son did not die. So it's still true. God cannot die. God did not die. Right. The human person that had been joined to God died. Okay? That's part of the theology that you you have to unpack then. And I heard this before in the past, and this was, again, when I was not as knowledgeable, if that's the right word, of, of these issues. Well, Jesus was 50, half man and half God. No, he was all God. And he was all man. God the Son joined himself to a human. That human was capable of death. But God the Son, the two persons in the one, the human could die. Mm Mm-hmm. God the Son couldn't and didn't. And that's where you get into, again, some of the stuff we dealt with Sunday morning, which about Christ going to hell after he died. Mm -hmm. He he may have gone to speak to people, but he did not go to suffer, okay, because he was God, Mm -hmm. had no sin, therefore could not be, did not need to suffer the penalty of separation from God after death. Mm. He suffered the penalty of death in man's place. Right. But he did not suffer the penalty after death that all other humans do suffer, which is to spend eternity in hell without Christ. So Christ came to do what we couldn't do, live a perfect life, and pay a debt that we could not pay. Exactly. Uh, The wrath of God was poured out upon him on that cross right so an innocent man like alistair Begg said right was crushed crushed by god crushed. But that innocent man was also god the son god the son and and the beauty of that is if you go over to john chapter 12 where the philip comes and says there's some gentiles seeking you and jesus the conversation immediately shifts to his death and he says now the hour has come, and my soul is troubled. Mm-hmm. That word troubled in the Greek means convulsions. It means horror. The, the reality of what he was going to do. The, the, the Gentiles have heard about the Messiah now. The Gentiles are seeking him. Okay? And he says, now the hour is upon me, and what shall I say? Father, deliver me when this is why you sent me. Man. Incredible, incredible. Alistair Begg says, uh, There is no story in all of human history like this. There is no notion in all religions of the world that even comes close to touching this. No. Um, that's incredible, isn't it? That, that is incredible because they many times atheists and so forth trot out the similarities. Mm -hmm. There is no similarity about God. There are stories of gods, okay, gods dying, 
but there are no stories. And when you really examine those, it's not the same thing. Okay. Because they are, they're mythological in the sense that nobody witnessed those deaths or anything like that. Okay. Somebody told this story, but there was never any claim that there were witnesses to the story as we have with Christianity. But in none of those places is it God dying to rescue the people who have hated him and wanted nothing to do with him. And there's different layers of total uniqueness. Mm-hmm. Um, and most, uh, most, all the other uh, religions of the world, they're all work-based. They're all works-oriented. Works I get this favor by the works that I do. Mm-hmm versus I get this favor because God has chosen to be favorable to me. Which is grace. Which is grace. Amen. Which is grace. So there's nothing we can do to save our... Can we save ourselves? No, nothing, nothing we can do to save ourselves. Again, if it were possible for me to save myself, then why did Christ have to have suffer to for me? Right. Why couldn't he just say, okay, look, buck it up. I'll give you the power you need, and you'll be able to live the perfect Christian life. Why didn't you say that instead of dying? He dies because there's nobody now, no human since Adam, no human that could do this. So Buddha uh, can't save you from your sins. Uh, None of the other religions. None of the other religions. Have anyone come close to this? None of them. And, And by the way, for those who would say the whole idea of, of a sin is, that's a Christian thing. It's not a Christian thing. In Islam, or I mean in Hinduism, you're paying for your sins. This is the cycle of rebirth. You come back again to pay for the sins you committed in the first life. And one apologist pointed out, then who was the first person, whose sins was the first person paying for? So there's an absurdity too there. Uh, for somebody who wants to wants to highlight that, well, we don't believe in hell. Let's, listen, coming back again and again and again and again to escape the cycle of rebirth, not knowing what you did prior in the previous life, and 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 people take this reincarnation. Oh, again, I get to come back and and party another through another life. No, you don't know that. It's it's not it's not like that at all. So the the idea, and I'm off track, but the idea that we are the only ones highlighting a spiritual need regarding sin is not true. It's not true. We are highlighting there's only one solution to that problem. Right. And it is the mercy of God who sent his son to be crushed on our behalf. So we're saved by grace through our faith in the finished work of, of Christ, Christ on the cross. Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor, I've got a question about uh, a verse that may be a stumbling block to to some people. So I have a a question about it. And that's uh, Proverbs 17, 15. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. It's talking about someone who in their sinfulness looks at a wicked person and says that's okay and looks at a good person and says they're bad Mm -hmm. okay that person uh so so it's a it's it's not a reference what i'm trying to say it's not a reference to god Mm -hmm. okay but god is 
that that the person in Proverbs is justifying the wicked without any uh, uh, satisfaction of their sin. Mm-hmm. You see, there's the difference. God is justifying us because the sin was paid for by Christ. Mm-hmm. Versus that person in the Old Testament Proverbs saying, "Oh no, they're okay. They're 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 ignoring the sin and justifying it in that sense, saying you're off the hook, rather than God dying to pay for the sins. And it is then then it is an act of justice because God has satisfied the sin. Now you, you come over to the Romans, and which is where you are dealing with that subject." But an echo of that passage in Proverbs is over here in Romans chapter 1, where God, Paul lists all these sins, and then he says, they that have pleasure, and they approve the people who do that, you mm-hmm. see, are deserving of death. So that's the distinction. That Is, it, uh, is this where uh, imputation comes in, and what we call the great transfer yeah. uh, comes in. Could you explain that to people who may not know what I'm talking about, the imputation? Uh, well, okay, well, the imputation is that, uh, and that's a fancy word, but it, it simply means God imputed to Christ our sin, mm-hmm. and after Christ's death and resurrection, he imputes Christ's righteousness to us, mm-hmm. Okay. We are justified by what Christ did. God right. takes, uh, God takes the work of Christ and uh, Im- applies it to our sin and our debt. And, and that's what justifies us. That's what makes us right in the sight of God. God. That we have accepted through faith that work on our behalf. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's what makes us right. Now, this is what separates us from our Catholic friends. Because our Catholic friends believe the death of Christ paid for all previous sins, but now through the rest of our life, we must earn that grace. Mm-hmm. That's This is in infused grace versus imparted righteousness. And because it only paid for our past sins, then every sin we commit the rest of our life we have to pay back for that ourselves. And that's why we go to Mass. That's why we light candles. That's why we go to purgatory after we die, because we've got to settle and satisfy this debt of sin, okay? That's infused righteousness. We, in the Protestant church, believe in imparted righteousness. God imparts to us the righteousness of Christ because we cannot earn righteousness. If we are sinful, then all the works we do, even the good works we do, are tainted by our sin. We would never come to a place of being righteous in God's sight. Mm-hmm. And that that's a, a brief explanation. It could You could get in, more involved and someone would be able to explain it better than me, but that's the, the, the gist of it. Mm-hmm. I think that was very good God, explanation. God. Um, in, John, in one of his books, says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to cleanse us of that sin, uh, to forgive us of that sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Right. Now, does that mean that, that when we come to Christ, we're confessing our, our sins, do we need to continually come to Christ as a daily cleansing? I, yeah. I, I, and again, we, we separate 
the initial act of salvation mm-hmm. from what we then call sanctification, right. which is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit to renovate my heart. And as I grow in Christ, then I am turning from other forms of sin. I am in that moment righteous in God's sight because I'm covered by Christ's righteousness, mm-hmm. okay? But then God begins to work in my heart so that I conform in practice to that righteousness. So there's the declaration of righteousness because I've accepted Christ. And then there's the performance of righteousness. But the performance of righteousness has no bearing upon my righteousness in Christ. You can't add to what Christ did. His work was perfect. His work, the, the infinite merit of Christ has been applied to my life. I can't improve upon that, mm-hmm. see. But I can be transformed in my daily life through the work of the Holy Spirit. Right. But but what I do there, and this is again... So redemption itself and our forgiveness of sin, uh, that work was completed when Christ said, it is finished. It, it, the provision was completed when Christ said, it is finished, and is applied to each one at, when they come to faith, come to faith. When I come to faith, that perfect work of Christ is applied to my debt of sin, mm-hmm. and I'm saved, and all that debt is gone, all the wrath of God is gone, and now, as I move forward, uh, then God works on taking out the bad habits, transforming my values, and when I feel, boy, I'm a really bad Christian, I go back to, wait a minute, I was declared righteous. So, yeah, I am. There are days when I'm a bad Christian, but I'm still safe in Christ. Right. And I must balance that I'm a bad Christian with um, justifying sin. You know, well, I'm just a, no, I'm a sinner and I'm, I'm going to fail. That's not an attitude of grief nor of confession, you know. What a wonderful God we serve. It's incredible. Um Alistair Begg goes on, he says, it wasn't that Jesus simply stepped up and and said, I'll do this for you. It is that Jesus became the very embodiment of all that sin is. So the whole wrath of God was poured out on Christ there. Now that's hard for us to understand what Christ bore on on the cross. Is that why... Uh, you know, when we picture the cross, we see that uh, the sky turned dark, and and how help us help us understand? Can you help us understand? <laughs> uh, other than the, other than the, the, the just uh, an observation, a dark sky in Scripture is always indicative of God's judgment. Christ was suffering the judgment, the wrath of God on our behalf. Now, that has a twofold connotation. The first is it satisfies God's wrath, but the second is that I should be just mindful of what a price he paid and how am I going to respond to that? Mm-hmm. Am I going to continue to embrace and justify in my life the very things he died to rescue me from? I have to, I have to see the significance of that. I don't think it's I don't think it is possible for any human being to fully comprehend what Christ went through. We look at the picture uh, in our mind, the descriptions we're given, 
the anguish Christ confesses, uh, and we, and that's about as far as we can go. You know, uh, if we just focus on Jesus's life and never look at this picture, um, do we miss the reason why Christ really came? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, always, and this again is where that part of the church that's always focusing on his miracles and the things he did and his promise to answer prayer and his promise to give us victory and those kind of things never get around to the all of those things were made possible by this Mm -hmm. and if you don't talk about this then all of those things are going to lose their proper place in the scheme of god's plan Mm -hmm. should we look at this and we should, of course, probably look at it with sadness, but also look at it in amazement of uh, God's grace, mercy, and yeah. love for for sinners. Right. There is that double-edged sword of sorrow for sin and great jubilation at having been delivered from the sin. Mm-hmm. And there's an Old Testament passage that kind of bears that out is where in the book of, uh, of Nehemiah, they're reading the law and the people are coming to an understanding of how much they failed God and they're weeping. And then Nehemiah steps up and says, now enough of that. The joy of the Lord is your strength. He's not diminishing their sorrow for sin. He's saying now, now that you've recognized your sin, recognize the solution God has provided and go in the strength of that joy, mm-hmm. not just in the, the self-condemnation. There is a place where there is a place, there's a there's such a balance here, but there is a place where we beat ourselves up in a form of self-penance. Mm-hmm. We confess our sins, we acknowledge our sins, and then we rejoice in that God has satisfied the debt of that sin. Amen. And I cannot. It is that it is that it is that balance again. That balance. Uh, I have to end this with Hebrews uh, two three. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Yeah. yeah. There's really nothing to add to that. That's right.